uh, turn to Psalm 50. Psalm 50. I was just listening to Alistair Begg on the way here, and he talked about the God that gives songs, the God that sings. And uh, Job says, where is God that gives songs in the night and the hour of his temptation? But he gives songs because he has songs. <laughs> and here is a song that he gave David, or actually Asaph. Psalm 50, Psalm 50. Verse, start in verse 7. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to have been continually before me. I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds. For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. Will I eat flesh of bulls, or drink the blood of goats? Offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay thy vows unto the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. But unto the wicked... God says, what hast thou to do to declare my statutes or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth? See, thou hatest instruction and castest my word behind thee. When thou sawest a thief, then thou contendest with him and hast been partaker with adulterers. Thou givest thy mouth to evil and thy tongue frames deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother and slanderest thine own mother's son. These things hast thou done, and I kept in silence. Thou thoughtest I was altogether such a one as thyself. But I will reprove thee, and set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. Whosoever praise glorifies me, and him that orders his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. So we have been dealing with systematic theology. I'm using John Frame's uh, introduction to systematic theology as our, uh, as our uh, springboard. Let me get the right color. I guess I'll just use black today. And what does Psalm 50 have to do with this? Well, let's get into it. We're still dealing with the attributes of God. After all, that's what theology is, is the study of what we know of God and what God has revealed of himself. And we know God from his works, but we also know God from what he has revealed about himself. He has attributed truths about himself in the scriptures. We have seen the moral attributes of God. God is holy. God is righteous. Uh, God is good and things of that nature. We talked about his wrath. Those are the moral attributes of God. And then we saw his intellectual attributes. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows the beginning from the end. He is the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last. And we, discussed, we went into that. And then we we're talking about the power attributes. 
talked about his will. We talked about the fact that there are no, there is nothing uh, that resists his will. His will is, is all-powerful, if you would. We talked about his omnipotence. Uh, we talked about uh, him being the Lord of space and the Lord of time. So he is not limited in space and time like you and I. He is the creator of space. He is the creator of time. He is Lord over space, Lord over time. And he is entered into space and time as its Lord without being limited in all the aspects that you and I are. For instance, uh, I am, you and I are, are foiled by time all the time. Uh, we're foiled by space. I can't be two places at once, but he is, uh, he, is, uh, um, he is eternal. He is omnipresent. He is those things as he acts in time. He is not limited by time and space as you and I are. Those are, those are aspects of his power. Now I want to talk about a little bit more difficult of an idea. Now there is a Latin phrase. Uh, it's just simply, ah, say. And from this we get this idea of his aseity, the aseity of God. Anybody ever heard that term before? All right, so this is a little bit more complex. But what does this mean? Um, and we're also going to talk about this idea of his impassibility. We're not going to get into the second one today, but his impassibility. I know it's hard to see from way back, but it helps me to write it out. So, what does aseity mean? Well, we actually just read about it in Psalm 50. And this is this idea that God is is self-contained. Everything he has, he has in himself. Or in other words, he has no need outside of himself that needs to be fulfilled. Uh, I have brought this up before as, uh, as uh, I have tried to witness to some of my Jehovah's Witnesses friends. And um, we'll talk about something like the love of God. And as, since they have this unitarian view of God, that God is, that God, the Father alone is God, the Father alone is eternal, uh, and so on and so forth, I asked them about an aspect of God such as God's love. And I said, well, um, do you believe that God is love? As predicated there in 1 John, God is love. And I said, of course, they agree God is love. And I asked a simple question, who did God love before he created the world? Right? What they at the bottom at the bottom of this, they deny the doctrine of aseity. They believe, and they have to believe, because of their Unitarian view of God, that in order for God to love, he had to create and fulfill that love in his creation. Does that make sense? So he had to create the sun, or he had to create uh, the world in order to love, that he needed creation, and therefore creation becomes just as necessary as God, and so on, and you end up, ultimately, if you go down that rabbit hole, deifying all of creation. All of creation is just as necessary to that aspect of God, that attribute of God to be fulfilled. Now, 
when we talk about the aseity, we say that God is self-contained. God has no need outside of himself. God is love because God exercised that love before he even created in himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and so on. And we see the necessity of things like uh, of uh, doctrine such as the Trinity. So that's basically, in a nutshell, what aseity is. This idea that really... We can maybe pick a better term to talk about this, but really God is independent. I ran out of room there, but you know, independent. <laughs> he, is, he, he is not dependent on anything outside of himself, and that's basically what he is saying to Israel. I'm not going to reprove you because of your sacrifices. What are you going to give me that's not already mine? Does that make sense? Uh, and that, that's, that's kind of what we're reading. So, so this, this begins with the, with the simple truth of God. What did God say about himself when he revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush? Who shall I say that sent me? I am. He is the I am. He is the self-existent, that, that, that comes from the Hebrew hayah, to be. He is the one that is. And he's not, his, his, his existence does not depend on anything outside of himself. Uh, you've heard the, uh, the phrase, well, who created God? <laughs> if everything needs a creation and a creator, then who created God? Wouldn't God need a creator? God's existence depends solely upon himself and not on anything else. And ultimately, all of philosophy and all of, in, in any worldview, has to find something eventually that is asse, that is in and of itself. Well, and we will, you could see throughout the history of philosophy that that's always so. What did Plato believe was asse? Plato believed what was asse was this world of forms. Outside the outside this world, where where on everything was based, everything was based upon those forms, um, and it was very non-personal. But everything, uh, even even today, if you're talking about uh, 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 scientific materialism or um, or uh, or materialistic evolution or something to that, you still have to believe that there is something that doesn't have its its existence depended upon something else. That's why uh, Stephen Hawking had to talk about uh, had to talk about this idea of imaginary time and things like that whereby that there is this infinite loop of material that exists somewhere prior to the Big Bang coming forth. He had to believe that there was something that always was that depended upon nothing else for its existence. Something that was independent. So all of philosophy is looking for that asse, and that's what God says about himself. He is, he, 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 this is an attribute of his, he is asseit, he has asseity, he has independence, he depends upon nothing outside of himself. We see this uh, Psalm 50, let's look at, a, at something here in uh, the New Testament. Uh, go to the book of Acts, there is, uh, there is uh, Paul there at the at uh, arguing with the philosophers at Mars Hill, uh, Acts chapter 17. And I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I want us to read the words to underpin this idea. Uh, and then we're going to go back and try to build this doctrine a little bit this morning. So he says, 
here. Um, well, where am I at? Let's go back uh, verse 23. Let's read it at length from uh, Acts 17, 23. He says, for I pass by. He says, he says, verse 22, actually, I perceive in all things that, the, that you are too superstitious or, or very religious or very superstitious. Uh, um, and what, what was it in this world, uh, in this uh, pagan world that they, they would uh, build these idols and they would, you know, they always worship the evil gods because the evil gods were the ones that could hurt them. So they would always bring sacrifices to the evil gods. And so it wasn't that they wanted to worship evil, but they were fearful of what the good gods, you know, the good gods would leave them alone. <laughs> but the evil gods wouldn't. But they were always afraid of offending the deities, Right. So they would build this altar to uh, to this god, and this and another altar to this god. And he stumbled upon a a uh, altar that had a subscription that said, "Unto the unknown god." That's what he says here in verse twenty three. He says, "To the unknown god." This is for you, just in case we miss one, and you come and, and you and you see that no sacrifices were being offered to you, and you bring a plague or something like that because you're offended. We want to make sure we did offer to you. We just didn't know your name. So, so that's how fearful and fear-driven the pagan idolatry was. He says, um, For I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, him declare I to you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwells not in temples made with hands. We were talking about this idea. Uh, where What space can contain God? You can't. That's what the Solomon prayed. He's not, he's not worshipped in temples made with hands. There is no temple that you can make that's grand enough, big enough to contain God or to be a proper, um, a proper means of giving him praise and worship. Neither is worship with many man's hands, verse 25, as though he needed anything. Seeing he gives to all life, breath, and being. And he's made of one blood, all nations, so on. And he goes on to talk about in him we live and move and have our being. But this idea, as though God needed anything. One thing we have to realize about ourselves and our own worship. What, do you, what can you give to God that wasn't his already? Nothing. What, can you, what, 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 what do you have that you weren't given to by God in the first place? Nothing. God does not need anything. What is that? What is that in verse 25 here? That's aseity. He is ase. He is independent. He is not standing in need of anything outside of himself. He did not need to create. And by the way, he did not need to save. Amen. I know, well, I mean, I know you'll have those evangelists that'll preach, well, God just really needed uh, uh, you to, so he wouldn't be lonely throughout, throughout eternity. That's not scripture. And that's not why you're saved. He's saved because he desired to save. But he did not need to create. He did not need to save. He didn't stand in need of anything. Praise God he did, did, did create. And praise God he did save. But not because of any lack in himself. You're not saved because God was lonely and wanted you for all eternity to fellowship with. Or some greater reason. He stood, he stands in need of nothing. Now, uh, 
frame here uh, wrangles a little bit about terms about about uh, well, should we use the term independent or should we use the word aseity and which, which one describes reality. Uh, when we talk about God being independent, we're talking about his relationship to creation. He doesn't need creation. But when we're talking about uh, God being assay or the aseity of God, we're talking about all needs that God has is fulfilled within himself. Now there's various terms. So we can say this is the greater metaphysical term, and this is just how we understand it as creatures. All right, so there's just a little wrangling about how that is. Now there are synonyms. What are the synonyms of aseity? Independence, self-existence. Uh, he is the I am. He is the beginning, the end, the first, the last, the alpha, the omega. Uh, self-sufficiency. He has all sufficiency within himself. Self-containment. Uh, these are ideas. Sometimes uh, you'll hear someone talk about God being self-caused. Um, and that can kind of cause some, some wranglings in our mind. Nothing can cause itself to exist. God just is. He exists. Uh, so we would actually not use the word self-caused. We would talk about God, though, being uncaused. The uncaused cause. He is the, he is the one that causes all things, but with himself is uncaused. Um, or we would use the term absolute. And really this, gets back, this goes back to what we were talking about with God being infinite. When we talk about omnipresence, he has absolute presence. When we talk about omniscience, he has absolute knowledge. There is no deficiency in any of these things. There is no limitation in any of these things. Uh, we talk about him having absolute personality. And, and, and that's, that's very important for us to understand. Non-Christian thought acknowledges personal gods, right? There, there are gods out there. If you go to India, there's over a, mi uh, a million of them, right, <laughs> that are worshipped. They're all personal deities. But what are they? They're limited. They're not absolute. Think of Zeus. Was Zeus absolute? Come on, some of you all have studied some Greek mythology, right? Was Zeus absolute? No, Zeus was finite, right? He, he, he was limited, Limited in his power, limited in his scope. He might have been the strongest of all gods, but he had his limits. Where did Zeus come from? Uranus, right? And where did Uranus come from? Someone else. Uranus, Uranus was not himself uh, absolute. There was no absolute personality. There was no absolute personal god. And then... So, so there were personal gods that were not absolute in all these thoughts. But there were also absolute principles that were not personal. What did they believe in? Plato believed in forms. Um, um, uh, ideas like justice. We're just floating out there, this idea of justice. We can't really define it. We can't really put, we don't even know how it relates to this world. But there is this principle of justice out there, and it's eternal. But it's not personal. But God is absolute in the sense that he is, pers he, he is the personal God that is the absolute framework from which all personality exists, but also all 
ideas like justice. Where, where, where do we get ideas like justice without reference to the righteous God who is righteous in and of himself? He becomes the framework. The ase God, the aseity of God becomes this framework by which we believe in uh, that we, we can hold these other ideas. Uh, Frame says, we have seen that all of God's other attributes are absolute, that he is self-sufficient in his goodness, righteousness, wisdom, relations to time and space and so on. But all these attributes are characterize him as a person or as personal. They are not abstract impersonal principles that are out there just floating around. Kind of like floating numbers. Two plus two equals four. <laughs> just out there dancing around in the ether and that's the basis of, of why two apples plus two more apples equals four every time we add them up. No, God is the logos. He is the wisdom. He is those things. And he is those things in and of himself and therefore becomes the basis of reality, of our reality. Uh, so I, I, we, do, we should not look at aseity as simply a metaphysical truth, but also an epistemological. What does that mean? It means he is the basis of our knowledge of things. This becomes the basis of our knowledge of things. And ethical. This becomes ethical. Uh, God is as a saity, as to as a saity, is also self-attesting and self-justifying. So we can't sit in judgment of God outside, outside of God himself. Uh, let me find my place. His righteousness is self-justifying based upon his righteousness of his own nature. There is no morality that you and I can believe in outside of the nature of God. He is the absolute there. Uh, there is no knowledge that you and I can have that, is, that does not find its source in God. Even the 2 plus 2 equals 4. Why is that true? It's because it's true in God. Because God is logical. God, God, God is wise. So he is self. So everything is. God is self-attesting and self-justifying. Uh, that's what it means to be a say. We could talk about how this relates to his lordship. Uh, God's control is such that every that says uh, says frame here is such that every event takes place at his initiative. He is never moved by to act outside of himself. His authority is ultimate standard of truth and right. He looks to nobody outside of himself to define the standard. He is present in all the world. He has made and no one can shut him out. Going back to Psalm 139, where can I go that God isn't? Right? That's uh, all these ideas. And that's why some people say aseity is the chief idea of God from which we can speak about all of his other attributes. Now, I don't know if that's so, but, but men like Bobnik and others, uh, huge theologians, wanted to start by their talk about God. Oh, she's so sweet. <laughs> Want to talk about God uh, first about his aseity before they could talk about anything else. So going back to this idea of lordship, what are the uh, lordship attributes? Uh, uh, 
his control, authority, presence. All these are absolute in God. One on whom everything depends. His, de- his decree depends on nothing in the world. His decree depend- and everything that happens depends upon him. The- his authority is absolute. He has self-sufficient goodness, self-sufficient, unchanging standard. Why, is it, why will it never be okay to murder? Why will it never be okay to, uh, for a man to beat up his wife or something like that? Why? Because God doesn't change. And, these, and morality is absolute in his nature. Uh, his presence is absolute. He acts as a whole person at all times and all places. He's here just as well as he is on the other side of the world right now. He's now just as he was 100 years ago and will be 100 years from now. He is absolute. So with that being said, with that being said, let's talk about, let's argue up from the scriptures about this. We looked at the most obvious text about the aseity of God, but now I want to try to use Frame's outline here and argue up to it. All right. This billboard is not absolute. <laughs> All right. It falls. It fails and it falls and it needs constant maintenance, unlike our God. So, aseity. How do we argue up from aseity from the scriptures? Aseity. I think I need to use the black. That's kind of. All right. First, as Lord. God owns all things. Can we agree on that? That the scriptures teach that God owns all things? God owns everything. Anyone want to wrangle with that one? Is there anything that you have that's yours? All right. We can agree with this. The very breath you breathe. Everybody take a deep breath. That was the Lord's. He gave it to you. All right? He owns all things. As Lord, he owns everything. He is called, Genesis 14, 19, the possessor of heaven and earth. The possessor of heaven and earth. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and all things therein. And what we read there in Psalm 50 this morning already. What are you going to give me? I own the cattle on a thousand hills. What are you going to offer me? And we can go on and on about this. I don't think anybody would wrangle with this if we want to believe this scripturally. God owns everything. There's nothing that is outside of his ownership, outside of his control, outside of his lordship. It's all his. Yes, sir. Amen. We've been bought with a price, so uh, we're not our own. Uh, so, so he doubly owns us. So, and he has redeemed all of creation as well. So that's the first point. Second point, everything possessed by creatures comes from God. If you have it, God gave it to you. So if you have it, God gave it. We've already made this point a little bit, but if you have it, God gave it. That was God's. He gave it to me. 
we don't really need to go on this, but um, James 1.17 says what? Anybody know? Oh. If he has it, James 1.17, when someone gets there, you want to read it? James 1.17. All right, Jeff, read it for us. All right, every good gift comes from God. Every perfect gift comes from God. If you and I are sitting here enjoying anything that is good, it is because God has given it to us. So when we have something, when we, when we give something back, it's God's. What are you? You're a steward. Amen? And it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. All right, so it's not my house. God gave me that house. It's not my car. It's God's car, and I'm responsible to him for how I use it. It's not my bank account. It's God's money. He gave it to me. I'm responsible for every dime that I spend for his glory. Honor the Lord with your substance. How much of your substance? All of it. Not just the tithe. All of it. Because everything you have belongs to God, and you are answerable to him for it. Why? Because he gave it to you, and you're just a steward. That's all you are, and that's all I am. All right, so the first point, God owns everything. Secondly, if you have it, God gave it to you. Third point. Oh, wait. I already got to the third point. Well, the third point was when we give to God... It was first given to us. We love him because he first loved us, all right? So if we give, it is because he gave first. I'm going to run out of room for these points. If we give, it's because he gave first. So again, we are stewards. I'd already got ahead of myself. We are accountable to him for everything. Everything in creation remains his even after he's given it. All right, point four. When we give something back, back to God, he is not obligated to recompense. This has become a terrible... So God is not obligated to us in any way. Well, Lord, I gave you this. Now you got to get. You ever hear these? Uh, you ever hear these uh, televangelists? <laughs> All right. If you give, well, I read this passage, and he caught 153 fish. And if you send me 153 dollars, God is going to bless you. <laughs> or just name it, claim it, kind of faith that people will have. Um, you, you just name it, or your power of positive thinking. If you think positively, positive things will come because that's the laws of the universe working out. That's God. Uh, it, God's not obligated to do anything for us. God is not obligated at all to give to us. Uh, Luke 17.10 So also 
So you also, when you have done all these things, say, we are unworthy serpents. We are unworthy servants where we have done only that which God, only that which was our duty to do. God is not obligated to recompense us. Why? Because point five, I'm out of room, so I'll write it up here. Point five, God owes nothing to the creature. God owes nothing. I think, I think the terrible thing about the name it, fame it, power of positive thinking ideas that are floating around in evangelical churches right now is this idea that if we do this, God must do this. Um, I said those magic words, so now God's got to save me. <laughs> uh, I did that thing. I got that flu shot. Uh, you know, just that I, I said these right words in prayer, so now God's got to, I had these right thoughts, so there go, God's got to recompense. No, he, God owes nothing to us. God does not bring himself under any obligations. Any covenants that God has made are voluntary on his part, self-imposed. Any promises he made, he did not need to make them. He was not obligated to, he wasn't forced to make them based upon us creatures. He's the first cause and he's also the first giver of all things. Number six. And we got a few more minutes. Hopefully, we can get through these last two points. Therefore, based upon these gospel, uh, these biblical truths, God has no needs. God has no needs. I I like how it said there in Psalm fifty um, that you thought I was such a one as you. You thought I was just like you. And, and uh, I think we end up with a, with a very, very uh, skewed view of God in this self-centered culture that you and I live in. Like God needs this, God needs that from us, and, and so on and so forth. He's not dependent upon us. That's what he said in Psalm 50. He says, if I had a need, I wouldn't ask you. <laughs> right? He says it there in that poetic way. Uh, he doesn't owe his existence or his well-being to us. Now think about the difference between this and the pagan gods of old. Somehow they need, somehow Zeus needed this sacrifice. Somehow Zeus needed this or that or, or, uh, uh, or so on and so forth. And they would fulfill these needs by often their wicked handling of, the, of humankind. Um, God is not like this. What? What, 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 what is the purpose then of things in the Old Testament like animal sacrifice? Did God need the animals? No. Who needed them? We did. Why? Why, why? why was the lamb brought? Because they needed atonement. Not that God needed a sacrifice. God was going to provide his own sacrifice. He taught that to Abraham long ago. God shall provide himself a lamb. Everything, everything you and I needed to be saved, God provided for us. He needed nothing that we brought of ourselves. 
That's why I've said time and time again, there are two, two religions in the world. There are only two. There's those that, rely, those, those that rely upon God's provision, or there's Cain bringing the fruit of his own labor and saying, God, please accept this, what I did, what I did. He's not dependent upon us. He doesn't need. God is not satiated or fulfilled somehow. Um, but he symbolically was atoning for human beings as they brought the lamb, as they brought the sacrifice. It was pointing to what he would do and not something that would be done outside of himself. Isaiah chapter 40. Compare this. Compare this to the gods people make. And I need to hurry. Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, and verse 19, the workman, all right, now we're getting into idolatry here. The workman melts a graven image, and the goldsmith spreads it over with gold and casts the silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he has no oblation chooses a tree that will not rot. We, by, they're, so they're choosing their own God, they're picking out the right tree, uh, and they're chopping that tree down, and then they're choosing what part of the tree they're going to carve, a, carve an idol out of, and uh, what part of the tree they're going to throw into the fire, and, and, and they're choosing everything about this God, and they're carefully carving out with their own skill this God, and they're doing all these things and creating. This God that they created is completely dependent upon them. There's this craze right now about AI. You all know what AI is, all right? There's this belief, we talked about this futurism idea a few weeks ago, but there's this belief that we're going to create our own gods. Someone once says, I don't believe God exists, but he will soon. Uh, what, 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 what are we doing? We're creating this omnipotent, omniscient uh, being, and, we're gonna, and there are people actually out there that believe that we're going to create this God that is all-powerful and knows all. And... Everything about it is going to be completely dependent upon us. And by the way, it's going to fail. I just read an article the other day that, uh, that, that uh, chat GBT, or what, what's it called? Huh? Yeah. So anyway, they gave it a, they, they gave it a semi-simple uh, math problem. When they first created it and started asking it for its input, it was answering that math problem 97% of the time correctly. After more and more information was plugged in, you know how many times it was answering that same math problem correctly? 2%. Why? Because everything about it is built on fallible human minds. We're not going to create our own gods. We're going to create tools for people to beat us down with <laughs> that have power, but we're not going to create our own gods uh, because it's dependent on us. And here we, here, here we have that very same thing here talked about in Isaiah. Uh, and Jeremiah brings out the very same thing. He says, "Part of the part, part of the wood you part of the wood you throw into the fire. Part of the bit, wood you uh, build your build your house. And part of the wood you go and carve out a god, uh, carve out a god for yourself and bow down and worship it. And everything about that god is dependent upon man. But that's not the god of the scriptures. We are one hundred percent dependent upon Him for every breath, everything." He gave it to us. He needs nothing. 
He doesn't need all our input to ask to, to answer any math problems. Uh, Acts 17, we already read. Um, he's not worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. He doesn't. He stands in no need. So um, he, our needs are supplied by God, not the other way around. He gives life, breath, being, all there in Acts 17. And so the final point here is God is therefore by nature, Ase. He is Ase. A being with no needs is an extraordinary being. We, we see that here in the scriptures. We see that as a metaphysical truth. We see that as a, as from the very nature of our worship. If worship is what scriptures say it is, then the object of our worship must be utterly without needs, independent of his worshipers. Uh, Paul said there in Galatians chapter 4, he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature were no gods. Why are you turning back again now to the weak and beggarly elements? These things that you used to worship that have no power in and of themselves, but they need you to give it power. They need you to provide for this way or that way. Why would you turn again to those weak and beggarly elements? That's the, that's the meaning of the false gods. Uh, we create gods. Uh, John Calvin says the heart of man is an idol-making factory. <laughs> We're always creating gods and reshaping gods and trying to create the God of your own understanding in the AA language or something like that. And, and we're, we're making gods, but in the end, what are they? In Psalm 115 and Psalm 135, they have eyes that they can't see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. And everything they have had to come from us. That's not our God. That's why God is different. The God of the scriptures is different. He is not the weak and beggarly elements of this world that we worship. We worship the true God that is and was and evermore shall be. And we think about now as we, as we come to a close here, uh, Romans 11.36, when Paul reaches that doxology there, he says, From him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Why is that? Everything is provided by him. It's from him. Everything, nothing happens without his power. It's through him. He receives everything back to himself. It's to him. He's the first cause. He's the final cause. He is the reason, the sufficient reason. He is self-sufficient. And that's the God we worship. Why would we worship something less? So, I hope I've brought out here this morning the importance of this single little doctrine. It's a word we rarely hear, aseity, or independence. But the underpinning is the greatness of our God. The realm of, he, he is the, the metaphysical ground of all things, the epistemological ground of all things. He's, in other words, he's the standard of all truth. He is the standard of all knowledge. I, I've, 
I'm getting ready to start again in uh, apologetics down at Lakes Lakeside. And one of the very first things we're going to talk about is you cannot talk about truth. You cannot talk about goodness. You cannot talk about beauty unless you've already decided that there's a God that's the ground of it. In fact, if there is no God, the best you can do is sit around and drool on yourself. You can't have a coherent thought. Amen? Going back to the most basic things we know. Two plus two is four. Why is that true? Did we discover that through empirical science? No. We know it to be true because we live in an orderly world where God created all things, created that to be true. He is the he is epistemological ground. He's the ethical ground. Why is it wrong for this to happen in that ground? Because we have a righteous God that is ase in and of himself. It was not dependent upon some law above him to say what was right and wrong, but in his very nature became the, is the standard of right and wrong. This is the God that we worship. This is the one in the many. Philosophical problem was throughout history of philosophy has always been the particulars and the universals. How do we talk about those things meaningfully? And that's why we were talking, uh, what I mentioned earlier, I'm sorry, I'm going wrong. Why I mentioned earlier, uh, they, they would have absolute principles like justice, and then they would, have, they would still need to answer the personal, the particular things uh, with personal gods, but those personal gods could never be absolute. They could never bring these ideas together. But God does, the God of the scriptures. He is the answer to these great problems because we have an ase God, and that's what is taught clearly in the scriptures. Long before Thales and long before... Uh, um, Plato and Aristotle, it was already written in the scriptures. Our God needs nothing. He's the ground of all things. He created all matter. He created the personal. He is Ase. Any questions, complaints, or grievances? No? Got it all figured out? This is a hard subject, but it's uh, hopefully we made it difficult, simple this morning. Any? No questions? No comments? All right. Praise God for our Ase God. All right, we got about 10 minutes before the second hour. <laughs>